Well, church, I'm excited this morning to preach. I got the opportunity to preach live last week. Our campus pastors preached live last week. Our campus pastors are preaching alive this are, are preaching live this week again. I've never experienced that in the 10 years I've been a part of River Valley Church. But I'm not going to say we live in unprecedented times because everyone is saying that. I'm just going to say we're living in extraordinary times, and so extraordinary things are happening. And so I'm excited to I'm excited to share the word with you this morning. If you got your Bibles, you can open them up or on your phone, follow along, Daniel chapter 3. We're going to be camping in the book of Daniel chapter 3. And I'm going to be just going through that whole chapter. You're going to love this. If you're like, I would love to just go through a chapter of the Bible, you're going to love this Sunday. But before we jump into it, I want to celebrate something every single week that our church has been open. And I want to speak specifically here to the Minnetrista campus. Every single week we have been open since the end of May. We have seen... Not only new people come every single week, but we have seen people, whether in kids or youth or on on Sunday services, we've seen people give their lives to Jesus every single week. Come on, let's give Jesus some praise. That's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. And I want to let you know that if you've never made that decision to follow Jesus, or maybe you did a long time ago, and you're like, you're in church right now, and I just want to let you know, you're going to have that opportunity in a couple minutes to give your life to Jesus. And I want to tell you, it's the greatest decision you can ever make. I'm telling you, like God is working right now. And so be ready for that. But we're continuing in the book of Daniel before we get there. And Daniel is a story or is a, is a book written about the Jewish people who were living in Israel. They're living in Jerusalem, and then they were brought in slavery, in exile to a foreign land. They were exiles. They were taken from Israel and brought into Babylon. And if you are a Christ follower today, do you know that you are in exile? We are living in exile. Peter, Jesus' best friend on earth, wrote to a church encouraging them, and he said, Dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners, in other words, exiles, to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then, even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. We're living in exile. This isn't our home. I love our new song that River Valley Church, River Valley Worship just came out with on our album, Altars, the song Hallways. This is just a hallway, and we're on our way home. And so we just got to, like, understand we don't belong here. We belong uh, with Jesus, but we are here right now. And I would say today we are living in a modern-day Babylon, and a attribute of Babylon is that it's dark, that culture is dark. We see it. We feel it. The, the world is getting dark. And a byproduct of darkness is always confusion. I would say that a, the spirit of Babylon is oftentimes a spirit of confusion, meaning that we don't know it. right is seen as wrong, wrong is seen as right, up is seen as down, left is seen as right. I mean, we're, we, it's confusing. A uh, couple years ago, in fact, when I was a child, I was like 10 years old a couple years ago. (laughs) Sorry, two decades. So I was 10 years old. I grew up in Mount. I grew up five minutes from here. And I had a friend that lived on the island, and he had uh, his house was on the lake. And it was late October. And we thought, let's go outside. It's dark outside. Let's play Ghosts in the Graveyard. 
Now, I don't even know what the rules of Ghosts in the Graveyard were, but I was 10 years old, and I was scared. Uh, because I'm like, oh, i got to run outside, and it's an unfamiliar place. I'm going to run outside. It's dark outside. And so it's basically hide-and-seek in the dark. He lives on the lake. And so I'm running around, and I'm like, I'm going to go down by the lake. They're not going to find me down there. And I'm running around. It's super dark. And a byproduct of darkness is often confusion. And I became confused about what was solid ground and what was thin ice on the lake. And so I'm running around, and I'm like, oh, they're never going to catch me. And I fall through the thin ice into the ice-cold waters of Lake Minnetonka. Because why? It was dark outside, and darkness breeds confusion. I'm going to awkwardly get back up on the stage here. Here we go. And so they're living in Babylon, and it's dark. Culture is dark. It's, they're confronted with a lot of confusing things. And today in Daniel chapter 3, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are confronted with something that they had never seen in their lifetime. We're going to jump in with Daniel chapter 3, verse 1. It says, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, the king of the foreign land that they're living in, whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth six cubits. That just means it was 90 feet high. Now, for perspective, this ceiling in here is a 30-foot ceiling. So it's three times the size of this ceiling, 90 feet high, nine feet wide. And he set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. It's just a reminder, the Israelites are not in their home. They're exiles. Verse 2, then King Nebuchadnezzar sent together the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. That's a key word. King Nebuchadnezzar had set it up. Do you understand? He's bringing representatives around from gathering from the known conquered world to worship an idol. Do you know that in Revelation chapter 7, when Jesus comes back, it says in eternity that every tribe, nation, and tongue will gather to worship Jesus? This is the world taking what is meant for Jesus because the world, whenever it's left to itself, it always takes what is deserving to God and turns it towards itself. And Nebuchadnezzar, he takes the whole world and he goes, listen, Come to what I have set up. In verse 4, the herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of all these instruments and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And they did it. Everyone bows down. The music plays. Everyone bows down. They start worshiping. But not everyone. Some stood up because there were those that we read about in chapter 1 last week that stood out. And people had noticed that there were those that were standing out. And when the music played, they were not bowing down. They were standing up. And we jump to verse 8. The Chaldeans came forward and they maliciously accused the Jews because they were not bowing down. They were standing up. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of all the music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. 
there are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Do you ever wonder why Daniel's not listed? Have you ever, like, where's Daniel in this? Now, a lot of scholars are, are they, they, they have different opinions about where Daniel's at. I like to think that Daniel had such a high position that they didn't want to go after Daniel out of fear of retribution. So they went after the lower ranking Jewish officials. So they let Daniel be, and they're like, Shadrach, Meshach, and Ben, they're not bowing down. King, what are you going to do? King, what are you going to do? They say, these men, O oh king, they pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. The world thus gave Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego a setup. The idol was set up. For them, it was a 90-foot golden statue. They were confronted with an idol that their king and their culture told them, hey, you got to worship it. Everyone else is worshiping it. Everyone else is losing their minds about it. Why aren't you engaging? Why aren't you being like everyone else? You know, we don't have statues today that we worship. Our idols look a little bit different. But the reality is there are, there are idols that our culture has set up for us to worship. How about uh, the idol of comfortable living? The idol of the American dream? The idol of you have to have an opinion on this news story? What's your opinion? What's your opinion on the schools? Can I tell you something about opinions? Opinions are not convictions. Oftentimes, we're so excited about our opinions, and then we're quiet about our convictions. I'll just say, as a Christian, you cannot stand up for your opinion and then sit down with your conviction. Your opinions should never be louder than your convictions. Convictions being that God loves me. God made a way for me. His name is Jesus. We love everyone. Everyone's made in the image of God. These are our convictions that we should be sharing. And we don't do it. Why? Because culture has set up idols for us to follow and bow down to. And I'm here to tell you this morning, don't fall for it. Don't fall for it. Stand up. We have idols of images of ourselves that we think we have to be like, sports that we have to follow, status, keeping up with our neighbors. Do you know in my house where I live, I'm surrounded by houses of people that are empty nesters. And every single house's garden looks like it was filmed and photographed on home and garden. My neighbor's lawn looks like it's a golf fairway. My neighbor's garden on this side looks like it was like taken from King Louis XIV's Versailles garden in France. And then my house is, are you trying to actively grow weeds? I mean, that's what my house looks like. And I'm caught up in the comparison and like, I got to keep up. It's an idol. So what did Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego do when they're confronted with this idol? What did they do? Verse 13, Nebuchadnezzar in furious rage commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready when you hear the sound of all the music to fall down and worship the image I've made, well, it's well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Then he goes, who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Who is that God? Can I ask you this morning, what do you worship? I'm not talking about 
20 minutes on a Sunday, raising your hands, clapping your hands, raising your voices. I'm saying, what do you worship? One time a pastor described worship to me as this. Worship is the thing that you think about and you put the most energy towards the most. I ask you, what do you worship? What do you worship? You know, Nebuchadnezzar, he was trying to, to direct the thinking, the motivations, and the energy of the conquered world towards him. But I would tell you this morning that worshiping anything but God is idolatry. And this is idolatry. Idolatry always gives to something else the kind of worship and adoration that properly belongs to Jesus Christ. It's what we think about the most. I love what Paul says in the book of Colossians chapter 3, verse 5. He encourages us, the church, he says, put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. I love that word. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater. Another word for greedy is keeping up. Don't always think you don't have enough worshiping the things of this world. Don't worship the things of this world. Can I tell you real quick, um, because that list that Paul gives us, it really talks about just us. It talks about our hearts. Can I tell you real quick, though, what the three enemies are of a Christ follower? Number one, it's the devil, right? Like, easy. It's the devil, right? But here's the thing about the devil. Jesus, when he died on the cross and rose from the grave, before he ascended in heaven, you know what he said to his followers? He said, listen, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples. Meaning that Jesus left, he ascended in heaven, he's alive today, and he left with the reminder, I'm in charge. The devil may be your enemy, but the enemy's on a leash. Okay? That's what you need to know. Stop being like the devil's just trying to get me down. The devil's on a leash, okay? Just shut him up. Open up your Bible and claim the promises that Jesus is in control, okay? The second enemy of a Christian is the world. But this is, a, this is one that we have tension with. Because listen to what Jesus said about the world. In John 3.16, the, the world is our enemy. But listen, it's because God so loved the So I, I'm, God loves the world, so I must love the world. But the world, I'll just tell you this, the world doesn't love you back. <laughs> you got to love the world because God loved the world. But we do not become like the world because we have been set apart by Jesus Christ. Okay? The third enemy, and this is the biggest enemy. This is your biggest enemy right here. I'm about to help you. Our biggest enemy is us. We are our own worst enemies. And he's saying, hey, you want to you kick idolatry to the curb? Then you need to kick the evil desires that are in your heart to the curb. Anything that you give worship to and glory to. But today we have to know that there is punishment for failing to participate in idol worship. Back then it was burning in a, in a, in a fiery furnace, which was a well-attested means of execution in the ancient world. But there's still consequences today if we fail to participate in idolatry. For example, just 80 years ago, German theologian and pastor Dietrich Bonhoeffer not only refused to participate in the worship of Hitler, he also perceived in him a great evil 
and was therefore involved to some extent in, the, in an assassination attempt on Hitler. For this, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was imprisoned and then hanged at Flossenburg Concentration Camp, April 9th, 1945, just before the end of the war. Today, we see it. Uh, today, you know, there, there are students, there are young people. They do not participate in the cultural worship of clothing or technology or apps or, or different parts of culture. And they face ridicule from their peers. And still today, this is today in 2019, there are those in this world that have failed to renounce their faith in Jesus Christ in favor of a political or religious idol. And the website Open Doors estimates that over 4,000 Christians in 2019 on this planet Earth have been martyred because they would not renounce the name of Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And so Nebuchadnezzar looked at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and he says, Who's the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Who is the God? Listen to what they say. Verse 17, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, <laughs> we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve, he is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hands, O king. But if not, someone say, but if not. Here, I'll join you. But if not. <laughs> Do you know when I wear a mask, my beard like gets all up in my mouth and it's gross. And so, um, but, uh, but if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. But if not, listen to what Nebuchadnezzar says. He goes, what God, what God will be able to deliver you? And you know what their response is? Well, you just brought God into the picture. Let me tell you about that God because you just brought someone else into the conversation. We thought it was about, about us, but you have now made it about our God. And he, they say our God can save us. But if not, we're not bowing down. We are standing up. We are standing up. And they didn't have any excuses. They didn't. They, they, they could have. Oh, you about ready to get preached uh, this morning? Get some preaching this morning? They could have had excuses, you know? And if we're going to stand up for Jesus today, we cannot fall into these traps of excuses. A couple other excuses are this. Well, we could bow down. I mean, we are officers of the land. We have influence. And if we stand up, we could lose our influence is one of the excuses. We, uh, you know, they were put in charge over matters of the province of Babylon. You have to assume that there was some monetary uh, compensation that they were given for their roles. And they could have said the excuse, well, if we stand up, we could lose our money and our power that we have. But they didn't say it. They said they could have used the excuse, well, we're politically bound. Can I just encourage you, church? You can't, we can't hold the party line for everything. When it comes to politics, as Christians, we have to say when right is right and we have to say when wrong is wrong because we do not follow the elephant or the donkey, but we follow the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And we shall not bow to a donkey or to an elephant, but we will serve and serve only the Lamb. So they could have said, well, we're politically bound, but they didn't. They could have, oh, they could have said, well, we're not being asked to deny God. We're just being asked to worship another one. They could have said it. We can't, but they didn't. 
They didn't. They could have said, uh, you know what? It's only once and it's not for long. So maybe God would just forgive us. He would just, you know, just kind of wink at us a little bit. Just be like, oh, okay, we can let that slide. But they didn't use any excuses. Why didn't they use any excuses? Because to them, they knew that no matter what questionable circumstance came their way, they didn't need to question God because God is firm and secure. That they would not let their circumstance dictate their view of God. And so they had no doubt in their mind that God could save them. And we've seen God save, and we see in the Old Testament, God saved his people by separating a a sea into two and providing dry land. We see other parts in Scripture where God withholds that saving power, and, and and he allows his people to suffer. But either way, they said, whatever happens, God can do it, but whatever happens, we're not bowing down. We're not bowing down. We will stand up. I'm wondering if one of the greatest reasons we bow down to everything and not stand for Jesus is because we don't know what we have in Jesus. Those three young men, they knew what they had with God. Do you know what you have in Jesus? Do you know what you have in Jesus? Another way to say it is it's hard to stand up for Jesus publicly if you're not standing with Jesus privately. If you want to stand up for him, you better be spending time with him. Do you know Jesus himself, fully man and fully God, like he's God, would pray and separate himself every single day to spend time with his heavenly father. He was God. How does that happen? Why did he do that? It's because he knew that there is power that comes in the presence of God. Jesus would get up early in the morning. He'd get up in the middle of the day and pray. He'd go away at night and pray. He'd, he'd stay up all night and pray. When's the last time you, G, Christian, have stayed up all night just praying in the presence of your God? Jesus did it. Jesus did it. And if you want to stand for Jesus publicly, you should be standing with him privately. Because when you do that, you begin to know God and to know his promises. And you start to have confidence to stand up. Can I tell you what I'm confident in? Can I tell you what I'm confident in, church? I'm confident that God loves you. I'm confident that God sees you and he sees your sin. But you know something? He doesn't only see your sin. He sees the empty cross. He sees the empty grave. He sees that in Christ Jesus, you're covered. That love covers a multitude of sins. God loves you. You might be here this morning and you're like, I feel separated from God. I feel lonely in life. You're feeling something that you were never created to feel because sin is not part of your spiritual DNA. You were created for relationship with your creator that Jesus saw you, loves you, died on the cross for you, rose from the grave, is alive today and is, is it inviting you in. In a couple of moments, you will have an opportunity to respond to the invitation. I'm confident in it. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were confident in their God. But Nebuchadnezzar was ticked. Daniel 3, verse 19. They said, we're standing up. We're standing up. So he ordered the furnace heated 
seven times more than it was usually heated. And the flame of the fire killed those men who took Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So they tie Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego up. And these strong men, these military men, the mighty men of Nebuchadnezzar, take them over to the fiery furnace. And as they're chucking in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they die. Check it. Nebuchadnezzar couldn't even save his own men. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego believed that their God could save them. You know, they stood up because they were spiritually fireproof. They're like, I'm not, I don't need to stand down because we know my God, we know our God has made us spiritually fireproof. And he can make us physically fireproof. Oh, and look at what happens. Come on, church, stand up with me. Come on, Nebuchadnezzar, he looks into the fire and he's astonished and he rises up in haste. He declares to his counselors, did we not put three men into the fire bound up? And they go, yes, true, king, it's true. Why do I see four? And how come their chains have fallen off? What are they doing in there? They're not hurt. They don't smell like smoke. They're not chained and bound anymore. Listen, you know why? Do you know why? Do you know why? Because when you stand up for Jesus, Jesus stands up with you. Come on, when you make a stand and say, God, I'm not bowing down to my idols. I'm letting them know they got to go. You don't do it by yourself because your God is with you. He's with you through the waters. He's with you through the fire. He's with you through the storm. Listen, it's not a matter if the storm comes. The matter is when the storm comes. And can I tell you this morning, God is a firm and secure foundation, the rock of our souls, our hiding place, our strong tower, our refuge, and our time of need. Come on, he is with us. <laughs> he wasn't, listen, they weren't just spiritually fireproof. God made them physically fireproof, and he gave them some company. Who needs some company this morning? Who needs to know that your God sees you, he's with you, that whatever fire you're walking through, that he's got you. Come on, church. So I'm just going to close with this verse. James chapter 4, verse 7. So humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Listen to this promise. Someone needs this promise this morning. Come close to God, and he will come close to you. So wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world, which you bow your heads and close your eyes with me. There's some people in the room this morning. Your loyalty is divided. Or maybe you're just all living in the world. Can I just tell you this morning, your God sees you. He loves you. He does not reject you, but he accepts you the way you are. And he loves you so much, he wants to bring you on a journey following Jesus Christ, becoming changed more in the image. But it begins with a decision. It begins with a, uh, it begins with a prayer of saying, God, I'm sorry. And Jesus, I want to follow you and make you my life leader and my savior.